Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to Ebooks and Critical Theory. I'm your host, Dr. Dave O'Brien from Goldsmiths College in London. On this episode, I'm talking to Dr. Amanda Rogers from Swansea University in Wales about a new book, Performing Asian Transnationalism's Theatre, Identity and the Geographies of Performance, which was published by Routledge in 2015. Okay, so welcome to New Books and Critical Theory. Uh, on this episode, I'll be talking to Amanda Rogers, who is a senior lecturer in human geography at uh, Swansea University in Wales. Um, we'll be talking about her new book, uh, which was published in 2015, called Performing Asian Transnationalism's Theatre, Identity and the Geographies of Performance. So hello, Amanda. Hi, Dave. Um, it'd be good to start if you could tell the listeners a little bit about your um, academic background and the kind of uh, the process that brought you to the point where you uh, wrote the book. Okay, um, sure. So... Um, I had a long-standing interest in questions around race and racial exclusion. Partly stems from my own upbringing in quite a racially diverse and mixed area with a lot of Asian friends. And um, through my kind of undergrad degree, I was kind of really interested in exploring this um, and was interested in questions around Orientalism and representations of East Asia. And I, my it was actually kind of supervisor at university way back who said well why don't you look at this in theatre because that might be more unusual than looking at it in novels or something like that and so he kind of set me off on this path really I think um and then I was kind of started exploring it through my master's and then I really got into it with my PhD which was on um geographies of performance in Asian American theatre and really looking at how theatre could be used to kind of promote alternative forms of identity that might challenge the kind of status quo. Um, And then I kind of was very embedded in that context. I went and lived out there for around 18 months and worked with a lot of theatre companies. And then from that, I kind of started to realise that, hang on a minute, you know, It's not always about exclusion and about trying to find a voice within the national fabric, as it were. That's a big drive in the American context, but that's not the only thing. And then I started to realise that there are people like Che Yu, who had come from Singapore, and he's now um, the artistic director of the Victory Gardens Theatre in Chicago, which is a big regional theatre. And he'd also spent some time in London, and I started to think, oh there are these kinds of connections that kind of exceed this framework. And so I started to get interested in that and started to explore it. And that was really the basis for the book. And it's, I applied for a British Academy postdoctoral fellowship and was awarded it on specifically that topic, um, but looking at the con- kind of connections between the US, the UK and Singapore, broadly defined, um, in relation to East Asian theatre makers. So that's kind of how I got started uh, on this pathway, as it were. And the book kind of begins, um, I guess, with with that American perspective, but it's also the international perspective as well, because it it starts off 
with a kind of a, a story of a, about a conference in LA, which which reflects yeah. exactly these intersections. Yeah. Um, what happened is in around, I think it was 2006, um, all the big Asian American theatre companies decided to start trying to work together more, um, basically to share ideas, to initiate kind of co-productions, um, and to also get this sense of, well, because like America's a big country and they wanted to kind of feel like they were a, a national community with a kind of national voice. And so they created this conference every, I think it's every two years, and then every other year they have a festival of new Asian American work. And so I went, I've been going for a number of years, and it just struck me that in 2011, um, it was the first time that I was not the only non-American there. Because um, previously, I was always the random British girl who, who showed up. Um, and there were a lot of other um, practitioners who had come from the UK. Um, Jonathan Mann, who's a British Chinese director, and Jeremy Tian, who's actually uh, Singaporean. He now lives in New York, but at the time, he'd been living for several years in London. And um, I actually met these two people there and were like, was like, oh, you know, what a surprise to kind of see you here. And there was a big kind of debate at the conference around should Asian American theatre be international? And what does that mean? And there's a kind of reticence around that because in some ways this is a very old theatre community that has been kind of fighting uh, to be a visible part of a multicultural fabric in America for decades. And so would thinking about internationalism detract from that agenda or would it open up new kind of creative opportunities? Um, and in particular for the British and the Singaporeans who were there, it was a way really of looking for various kinds of exchanges because in the UK at that time, I think it's changed in the last few years, there weren't many East Asian writers, for instance. And so directors and actors were starting to look for ready-made work that they could stage um, because in the UK they just didn't have that community theatre to quite that same degree, um, particularly of new work. So they kind of started to look to America and to other English language theatres to try and stage um, to stage work. And so I think that that's where some of that impetus actually came from. And so these exchanges and collaborations started to actually happen. So that's kind of the story that I kind of outline at the start of the book and kind of feeds into the bigger project, really, about these the connections between these three spheres, as it were. The, the other elements of the, of the beginning of the book, uh, along with the kind of, yeah, the, the contextual story is, is the theoretical framework, which yeah, sure. I, fa- I found fascinating. And, and there's a, a series of key terms that um, underpin the book, uh, yeah. some of which are juxtaposed together um, to kind of explore the differences between them. Um, but yeah. some of which are, you know, kind of useful to uh, to kind of un- understanding the, the broader issue. So I wonder if, if we could start maybe with um, intersectionality as an idea and, and what that means and why it's important to the book. Yeah, um, it's interesting that you pick up on intersectionality because I think I only use it, I think I'm really, do you mean that in the broadest sense or yeah, in the in, more in specific the broadest, One of the things in the book is that, you know, the, the sort of, uh, and we might talk about this later, it is both mm. um, the intersection of different nationalities, but um, but also 
um, different places, different types of theatre practice, um, but then things around uh, gender and sexuality and mm-hmm. um, and how a lot of these kind of um, examples you give in the book are there to kind of destabilise fixed ideas about identity. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's certainly, I think, in the actual analysis, um, I kind of work from the bottom up sometimes, a lot of the time, actually. And um, for me, I was kind of interested in those works that deliberately do, as you say, that they kind of destabilise expectations around identity or around identity politics or that offer um, East Asian practitioners new ways of being and performing that might not otherwise be conventionally seen in the public domain. And I think that that was one of the key things I was really trying to push for um, and kind of, I guess, getting out of some of the kind of ghettoization of what constitutes quote-unquote ethnic minority theatre. Mm. Um, but at the same time, as you say, there's all sorts of intersections. These things are very fluid. So just to kind of take the British context, for instance, if you talk about British East Asian theatre, like you say, it involves a huge array of people who were both born in Britain and based in Britain. So who were born elsewhere, but might be British naturalised or currently living and working here. Um, they come from different national ethnic backgrounds. Um, some people are much more interested in exploring intercultural forms of theatre. Some people are much more about pushing a kind of multicultural politics of visibility and directly and overtly challenging stereotypes. So there's all these kinds of different ways, as you, as you say, about unpacking that particular word. Um, that I just thought, I think the transnational angle really brings into focus because if you're thinking about movement across borders and different forms of movement um, across borders, both geopolitical and I suppose in a way creative as well, um, then it opens up these kinds of alternate possibilities, I guess. I mean, the the juxtaposition uh, I mentioned earlier was between um, multiculturalism uh, on Mm -hmm. the one hand and transnationalism, and obviously transnationalism is the kind of the key um, term in the book. And I wonder if you could say a little bit about uh, what those two terms mean and, and why transnationalism um, was so important. Yeah, um, well, for me, I suppose that I suppose that they're not as juxtaposed as you might initially think, right? Because Part of the reason multiculturalism exists is because there has been migration, which Mm. is a transnational phenomenon. Um, And yet, at the same time, there is a kind of different emphasis to the two. So for me, multiculturalism is about how you manage and organise diversity and how you produce different kind of cultural negotiations and interactions um, that are premised on the nation state. So the, the focal point of belonging is seen as the kind of national sphere. Um, transnationalism kind of undermines and complicates that to a certain degree, but sometimes it can reinforce it. So for diasporic populations who live abroad, they can feel a real sense of attachment to a homeland that they've left behind as a kind of classic example of that. But transnationalism is often, I think, seen much more as a kind of process of flow, of mobility, movement, migration. But transnationalism, I quite kind of was really keen on 
the kind of critique of that unfettered flow idea that actually you can be in place you can be situated and yet you can still be influenced by all these forces that are kind of coming from elsewhere. I was very strongly influenced in the book by people like uh, Philip Krang and Peter Jackson's work, which is actually on transnational commodity culture. But it's that idea that, you know, we are constant, our whole material worlds are constituted through objects and ideas and people and all these different interactions that actually come from various places or that allow you to establish imaginative relationships to other places so that transnationalism has this kind of dialectic between um, mobility and immobility uh, to a certain degree and I was kind of interested in exploring that tension um, particularly because if you talk to a lot of practitioners um, even you know on a very basic level, you say, oh, well, what would you really like to do in the future? Often it will involve some form of travel to somewhere else or working with a particular director abroad, usually about moving to L.A. or New York at some point. Um, and so there is that kind of imaginative sense of movement um, as well as a kind of physical movement as well. So I think that that's the difference for me, that multiculturalism is much more focused on this idea of the nation and, um, and belonging to these kind of national spheres of identity. But transnationalism can complicate that and bring in all these extra forces and also focus more on the movement angle of that, I suppose. One of the other issues that the book um, grapples with is, is, I guess, how to uh, understand the identities of uh, of the practitioners um, that it it's engaging with, and um, what one of the kind of key issues is is what does does Asian mean in in the context of the book? Because obviously, um, you know, you're, you're discussing Asian American identities, um, British East Asian identities, the identities of people from Singapore, and I wonder if you could say a little bit about that. Yeah, that was actually a really difficult decision <laughs> for me to make around how you kind of collectively describe three very different contexts um, without kind of conflating them, but allowing them to have some kind of specificity. And I was, I really did struggle with this because, as you say, in I think part of it comes from an American context where in saying, if you talk to practitioners who are Asian-American, they say, oh, well, they're Asian, or I'm Asian. But, of course, if you go to Singapore, and I spoke to Singaporean practitioners living in the States and, indeed, in the UK, and, you know, Asian is a meaningless term for them because they're like, well, I'm Singaporean, or I'm Malaysian, or I'm Chinese, or something like that. And so this idea of what is Asian is kind of contested. But I also was quite interested in that contestation. It has, I mean, using the word Asian to kind of make that collective description has been seen as a kind of um, colonial relic, a way of kind of reinforcing European and American kind of hegemony and um, power relationships that actually you might want to destabilise and challenge. Um, And, of course, in British context, if you say to somebody, oh, you're Asian, then that often means South Asian Mm. rather than East Asian or Southeast Asian. Uh, And even to use the phrase British East Asian is very contested because that sector in itself is very diverse, um, includes lots of mixed race people, um, includes, you know, not not just um, uh, 
white Asian, but black Asian as well. Um, and so there's lots of kind of complexities in people who come from Singapore or Malaysia who might actually more identify with being Southeast Asian. So it's this kind of complex and contested terrain, but actually I wanted to work with that. And I do try and be quite specific in the book. And given that so much of what I've written about is about how you challenge these stereotypes around um, what being Asian actually constitutes in these three different contexts. And indeed, in Singapore, um, what does it mean to be a modern Asian nation? That's something that Singapore has grappled with for sort of its independence, really, since the 60s. And so that's not um, a new kind of area, but it's nevertheless the way that theatre is uh, practiced and enacted is trying to kind of grapple with that idea of what does it mean to be a modern Asian city-state um, in relation to its neighbours. So there are these different ways in which it gains um, inflections that are unique to each context, and I was quite interested in exploring those. But I realise it's also slightly a problematic term as well. Of course. Um, the, the other, I guess, maybe concluding point on, on the, uh, the theoretical basis of the book um, is the, the disciplines it seeks to speak to and inform and the way it's situated between, on the one hand, performance studies and also on the other, um, geography or human geography. And um, why was it that you thought there'd be a productive dialogue between these two areas of academic study? Yeah, um, I guess I'm, there is a kind of disciplinary lineage in geography around thinking about performance and questions of performance. And that's linked to a specific disciplinary history around um, the emergence of cultural geography and then its re-emergence in the 1990s, the mid-1990s, as kind of process of kind of deconstructing text, I suppose. Um, And so cultural geography became very much about text and representation and analysing text and representation. And then I think in 1997, Nigel Thrift wrote quite a famous and very influential chapter for geographers called The Still Point, which was about how dance can actually enable alternative modes of expression. And so that actually geography wasn't always about text and representation, but could be about embodied practices and experiences um, and effective qualities and the unthought and the unconscious and all of these kinds of ideas. Um, And that became very, very influential and established a whole area of work. And people became very interested in performance. And so around 2000, there was this kind of performative turn, but specifically regarding dance. And I was always interested more in theatre, partly because I think it does both. It has that textual element of scripts. And I've written elsewhere about how you can view scripts as not necessarily constraining forces, but actually enabling or materially changing um, entities. And so I kind of was interested in bringing those two things together. Once you start looking at performance, so it comes from that geographical background, and I've always loved theatre, and I felt that theatre was an interesting context in which to explore those kinds of text, body, representation, sort of dynamics, in fact. Um, And because I was interested in the kind of uh, ethnic minority angle and questions of race, that brought another dimension to it, again, in terms of thinking about the kind of identity politics underpinning this. And so it wasn't always about the politics of multicultural representation, but the experience and the embodiment of that as well. And so that kind of 
came very much from a geographical perspective, but there has been a very long history of kind of interchanges, I think, between geography and performance studies, geography and dance. I mean, performance in performance studies, theatre studies, people talk all the time about terminologically, they talk about using the space or exploring the space. And there's that kind of loose hand of it. But there's also lots of theoretical ideas and inter- exchanges that are happening. I mean, Mike Pearson, for instance, writes quite regularly, works quite regularly with geographers, particularly Stephen Daniels, people like that, um, around geographic formations like landscapes or cities and things that geographers theorise. And so there has been that kind of exchange for quite some time, I think. This, um, I guess, kind of exchange carries through um, all the way through the rest of the book. Um, And actually a good way of of sort of illustrating... um, that exchange is through the idea of of transnational theatre itself and mm. the way it sort of emerges from um, particular networks that um, on the one hand enable but also on the other hand constrain um, the success or, or not as it may be of particular individuals um, which is mm. the kind of um, the focus of the early part of the book and I wonder if you could say a bit about um, I guess what these international networks are and how um, they um, underpin transnational theatre. Yeah, that's, that's like a massive question. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> may, maybe if you just give uh, a couple of examples. Yeah, um, I, I'm just trying. I was trying to think about it. I mean, I, I always feel that transnationalism is often associated with transformation mm. and possibility, right? Um, you know, the early literature on transnationalism, I mean, Steve Bertovich has written about this around transnationalism and transformation. Maybe that's overplayed. You know, maybe that is an overplayed angle. Um, and actually, it can really um, res- confine you as well, because, you know, if you were, say, a tourist going abroad, you'd want to see some kind of quote unquote authentic performance. You know, like movement around transnationalism isn't necessarily always progressive. And it can limit people's options. I mean, one of the examples I, I talk about in the book is a, a play. Um, oh, hang on. I call down an occasional orchid. And basically it's about how my, through migration you actually open up certain possibilities for doing your identity differently and open up the exploration of what it means to be transgendered and Asian. But at the same time, that comes with certain constraints around boxing and around you must therefore behave as this stereotypical, um, sexy, Susie Wong kind of stereotype, that kind of thing. But I do think that it obviously, the more... I've I've talked to a number of practitioners and a lot of the ways in which you kind of gain this kind of mobility is actually the more you do of it, the more you're asked to do it. And then for some of these people, they kind of lose their creative um, impetus to a certain extent because they become exhausted. Um, And so it kind of is a whole big process of networking. I felt that a lot of the the sort of first empirical chapter and the last empirical chapter of the book are effectively about the same groups of people and that you could trace these friendships and these working relationships that kind of emerged together so it was like the creativity and the friendship kind of coexisted and kind of developed 
these particular theatrical um, kind of scenes, as it were, at particular moments. And they still continue to work together and explore together now, you know, sort of 20, 25 years later. Um, And I just thought that that was really interesting. I think more opportunities are if you become a kind of superstar artist, then obviously you're going to have more opportunities. But I spoke to a lot of practitioners and the word that came up a lot um, was the idea that they were it was luck or that they were lucky. And I didn't quite believe this because I think it's based on a lot of hard work. But it is that sense of you can't be entirely strategic. You can't say, I want to go to that festival. And you might be able to do things that help with that process. But you can never guarantee that you will present at that festival or work with that director from abroad. Um, And so there's this sense of you're kind of piecing things together, but along the way, other things may happen. And you may sort of suddenly encounter uh, or meet someone and you get on really well with them. You kind of gel artistically and then you start collaborating with them. And that leads then in turn to other things. So there's all sorts of factors that come into it. I mean, funding, national funding, portfolio organisations in this country, for instance, no longer fund things like fellowships to go and um, train and work abroad. Whereas in Singapore, for instance, for many years, you know, the Creative City agenda meant that internationalisation was a big push. So you've got a lot of Singaporean practitioners training, working abroad. So there's all these different factors, as it were, that kind of come into play. And I guess it's, can you harness those things? Can you access them? But it's not always strategic, and nor is it entirely opportunistic either. It's somewhere between the two, if that makes sense. <laughs> but, but there is, uh, as you identify in the, in, the, in the third chapter, there is, and you mentioned this actually a little bit, that there is, you know, a kind of a, a structure within uh, which the, these... Um, opportunities and this you know um i guess kind of yeah look and strategy can can take place within and one example you give is is the singapore arts festival yeah um and it's kind of relationship to both globalization and ideas about um the nation so i I wonder if you could talk through um why the singapore arts festival is is important to the book yeah um, i was i mean Singapore, Singaporean theatre is quite um, international, in fact. And I was kind of curious because it is, in many respects, um, the kind of preeminent site for thinking about international theatre, you know, transnational theatre in a kind of Singaporean context. It's this kind of iconic mega event, effectively, that happens every year. Um, and the year I um, actually, the year the year I wrote about it, so I did it on the 2010 SAF. Um, it's now changed its name and had a kind of hiatus period, in fact, where it was kind of figuring out what it wants to be and what it wants to do um, in the wake of kind of, I think, policy shifts that are happening in Singapore um, around the Creative City agenda. Um, and it's this kind of such a big emblem of transnationalism that I kind of thought you have to go there Mm. but what was really interesting to me is that that particular year 2010 they kind of decided that actually no we're going to focus it on how do we include local people and local audiences and local theatre makers that is to say Singaporeans in this in this festival in a more um, meaningful and direct way and so it was 
kind of this experimental um, experimental phase, really, of, of the festival, which I thought was really interesting, in fact, in exploring the kind of classic tension in transnationalism between trans and nationalism, right? Transnationalism always draws attention to that which it kind of tries to negate, I suppose. And so it was that really interesting mix for me, which is why I really wanted to explore it. And, you know, should local local artists felt very excluded um, sometimes from the Singapore Arts Festival or felt that they were only included if they participated in certain ways. Um, and so they kind of wanted to open that up a bit more and actually debate it and have a dialogue and think about, well, actually, what kinds of work might we want to make? Um, what kinds of work do you need to make if you want to be in an international festival and so all of those kinds of questions or if you want to tour go on a big transnational or world tour what kinds of work do you have to make for that purpose and so that was very interesting to me but it kind of coexisted alongside building a kind of ownership at the national level and I also talk in the book about kind of um, positioning the festival regionally as well so within Southeast Asia um, and so kind of trying to negotiate its place I suppose um, and that was yeah I just thought that was kind of fascinating and kind of moved away a little bit from simply the kind of local global dialectic that often comes with globalization because I think transnationalism and globalization are sort of interlinked globalization is more about kind of economic and the economic and kind of homogenization and transnationalism has that greater sense of geographical uh, specificity to it so I could kind of think across different scales from you know individual practitioner bodies through to regional economies and the nation state and the urban environment and you could kind of cut across all of these things so I thought it was a really interesting event actually just to explore and I guess the kind of the scale is different and, uh, you know, it's not uh, particularly or, or definitely a sort of a policy thing. But mm. uh, chapters four and five, uh, again, you know, the, these themes kind of kind of come up uh, around individual or community identities where you explore um, Asian American identity yeah. um, through particular works and um British East Asian identity uh, mm-hmm. as well, using particular um, works. And, and uh, I guess, you know, if the art festival is, you know, sort of pointing us towards, you know, creative cities and questions of, of globalization on mm-hmm. a, almost a kind of a policy level, mm-hmm. um, I, I guess we, we might be pointed elsewhere to, um, you know, the question of well, what is a community, what is an individual yeah. uh, identity by uh, some of the works such as Boom, um, or Imelda that you discuss in chapters yeah. um, four and five. Yeah, I think that the question of scale, it was something that um, people who read the book um, for me, kind of critical friends, were kind of said it was interesting to kind of see the kind of big mega event kind of things alongside these very small community um, productions. And I do tend to kind of cut across, but I was interested in that cutting across and those different contexts and how, in fact, you know, why is an Asian-American work in a big international festival? Is it too community-orientated? Those are kinds of interesting questions that I perhaps didn't go into enough in the book, but I was kind of interested in juxtaposing those things against one another to a certain degree. But absolutely, I mean, the question 
around how do you produce community dynamics, particularly with plays that may or may not resonate or come from those communities is, is quite an interesting one. I mean, the Imelda one was, um, so the musical about Imelda Marcus that not uh, Here Lies Love, but it was created before Here Lies Love, um, but was produced by East West Players in Los Angeles and was very much bound up with being Filipino and exploring, you know, relationships to the Philippines in this diasporic way. Um, and yet at the same time, building that kind of sense of being Filipino-American. Um, and yet something like Boom is a play that comes from Singapore but could equally kind of connect people within who were East Asian in Britain um, across very diverse backgrounds and experiences and still produce that sense of community identity. And I was really interested in again, juxtaposing those two processes against one another and to really say that actually does ethnic minority theatre doesn't have to be a play from this community, uh, created by this community, for this community. It, it can be much more open and, I suppose, geographically open and much more fluid than that. And I think Boom was an interesting one because it's Singaporean, it's written in... Um, it's got a lot of uh, Hokkien and Singlish and uh, dialect in it, and it's written with the Singaporean accent. And, um, you know, British actors sometimes found this very hard, but then the cast of it came from, I think, Malaysia and Australian, uh, a mixed race, some people came, you know, from Singapore, uh, had all these interesting, very different backgrounds, and yet they managed to kind of construct an identity, a community identity that, was British East Asian and that they identified as being British East Asian, then audiences would kind of come in and kind of complicate that process or add to it. And, you know, then you've got older audiences who are predominantly white in Margate really connecting with this story and this identity as well. And it was really an interesting, again, it opened up the kind of expect you know challenging those expectations around what these identities and group identities actually are so yeah i'm kind of yeah i was interested in exploring that i guess and, and then uh, actually to continue the theme um, of, of scale um the um the, the sort of the back end of the book um i, I guess points us back towards um policy um mm. questions um whether in terms of kind of um I suppose you might think of it as almost sort of cultural diplomacy um, yeah. with, uh, and, you know, a particular story I'll, I'll ask you to, to talk about uh, shortly, but um, but also um, the, the role of particular institutions such as the British Council uh, yeah. in fostering links between Scotland and Singapore. Yeah. I, it was just, that was um, something that I never really expected to find when I started doing the research. You know, I was, I, I was doing a lot of interviews with practitioners about their biographies, effectively, and where they'd worked. And I kept finding with that there was a group of Singaporean practitioners who had trained in Scotland, in Glasgow, or who had been to the Edinburgh Festival, presented at the Edinburgh Festival, all in this kind of early 90s period. And I was just really interested in this because it wasn't something that had actually been written about before. Um, and then I found out that it was all linked to a kind of British Council um, initiative, which was partly fun, you know, partly also came from the Singaporean government wanting to think about 
well, how do we make our city creative and cultural? And it's that particular particular policy era in Singapore as well. And they were looking at Glasgow and the, as the European capital of culture. Um, and so there was this kind of exchange, not only of artists, but also of um, policymakers who, you know, people learning from one another about what those policy exchanges might be. Um, and the British Council uh, created, and indeed it came with, they created a cultural, co- I think it was called the Cultural Cooperation Agreement between uh, Scotland and Singapore. Um, in the early 90s, and then it was re- renewed in the kind of mid-90s and ended around 96, largely because of the um, the Scottish Regional Councils uh, were abolished. Uh, so that kind of ended it, really. Um, and I think it was kind of losing ground, by, m- losing momentum at that stage anyway, uh, but kind of had a resurgence later on. But they were kind of, the, the British Council kind of was like, oh, well, it seemed again it was this kind of ad hoc thing where friendships and personal attachments were really invested because the guy who was the head of the British Council in Singapore, um, Ellen Webster, he's he's dead now, but he was Scottish, and so he was really kind of, you know, when the Singaporean government said, "Oh, do you want to kind of, uh, you know, can we think about how we might learn from Glasgow?" He was like, "Yeah, yeah, I can, I can do that," and so this kind of initiative took off and. It kind of facilitates the cultural diplomacy arm of things. And then they linked in with the idea around education and education establishing meaningful links between countries. But they focused that, therefore, specifically on training and on training initiatives. And so they create this huge um, thing which was funded. You know, they had people who were members of staff who were explicitly funded to work on this exchange. They funded artists um, to travel. They created co-productions between artists from Singapore and Scotland. Um, And it was just, I felt, a really fascinating way of kind of cultural exchange, but also policy exchange at the same time. But then, I guess, what would that be, about 15 years later, they kind of renewed this agreement um, in 2007, but between the Edinburgh International Festivals and the Singapore International um, Arts Festival. And so it operates very much entirely then at the level of policy, like you're talking about, and much more about presentation and presentation on the world stage rather than about being crea- about creative development um, and exploring ideas and concepts, which is very much what I felt the earlier uh, policy exchange was actually trying to do um, and it was very interesting because I found a, a lot of Scottish policymakers now going to Singapore to learn from Singapore rather than the reverse and so it's this kind of coming of age but again there's certain complexities around that around you know what kind of art does Singapore what kind of theatre does Singapore produce and is that what, say, the um, Edinburgh International Festival um, audiences actually like or critics like. And so there are all these kind of negotiations and contestations around that as well, which was very interesting. And I'd just not read about it um, very much before. It was kind of something that everybody knew. Everybody knew all these actors had trained at what was the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama. Um, but nobody had kind of actually written anything about it. So I just thought it was interesting and different to a very London-centric imagination, in fact, that a lot of practitioners actually have to think 
think about, oh, I want to go to Glasgow rather than London. You know, when you've interviewed many, many people, everybody wants to go to London. And suddenly somewhere like Glasgow pops up as an anomaly and you think, oh, well, why is that? And that's, that's interesting, you know? Contestation, I think, is crucial um, to the, the way the book um, sort of concludes, really, or, or at mm. least begins to conclude, which is, uh, I suppose, um, slightly unusually for um, an academic geography book. Um, it is really a story about you um, as, as much as it is, um, you know, a story about uh, transnational theatre. So um, can, can you tell me a bit about how uh, how you came to have this kind of personal investment um, in an international um, controversy that took place in the, in the UK? And, and you describe yourself, I think, as, a, as an accidental hub, um, yeah. as part of a critique of broader stereotypes, um, some of which obviously are built on the themes in the book. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the terminology of the accidental hub actually comes from um, uh, Nadia Kiwan and Orca. Meinhof's book um they talk about different hubs of and uh, ne- transnational networks of african musicians and they talk about accidental hubs that is to say people who where the researcher actually ends up being involved in the transnational networks that they are analyzing um and it's it i think after three years of doing this project i um knew quite a lot of people basically and I've been very invested I I mean I've been invested in these ideas around equality and diversity for many many years you know this stems from you know as I said my upbringing um, and experiencing indirect racism as a result of having Asian friends Um, and so this is something that is very formative I suppose and so I'm very invested in this agenda Um, and then what happened is we had the orphan of jail controversy with the RSC. And it was very interesting. Um, I mean, Ashley Thorpe and I have written about this, um, but um, more explicitly in last year uh, in Contemporary Theatre Review. But this chapter is really kind of thinking about how I become, it's sort of not, it's not all about me, I have to say that, but it's, I was in, inevitably became involved in it. I mean, the people who were at the heart of it initially said to me, oh, because um, I've been writing letters to like the BBC and um, ITV and National Theatre, and I've been writing these letters to people for a long time saying, why have you created this stereotypical portrayal? Uh, you know, I don't agree with you having these kinds of white people playing Chinese characters or whatever it was. I've been very proactive for a long time. And so people who I'd interviewed and made connections with through the project kind of said, well, what this might be happening and we're not sure kind of might go public with this. And I feel like I've been um, perhaps unfairly treated and or, you know, and yet or at the same time um, also there's a possibility of all these white actors being cast in Asian roles and that really, is that really appropriate? And so I was kind of very obviously like, yeah, that's, I will support that and, you know, let me know what I can do to help. Then when the whole controversy actually kicked off, I found, um, I had met and I had all these contacts in New York through people like APAC. So 
the Asian American Performers Action Coalition, who have been campaigning for Asian American diversity on stage for a while, have gathered statistics on this, have had quite high-profile negotiations. And, you know, the RSC is a, a global brand of Britain, um, and it is a publicly funded institution as well that has some very big commercial operations in the West End and on Broadway. And so they viewed it as their problem as well, or their their issue to take hold of. And so I suddenly had all these people from APAC emailing me saying, what what can we do to help? We've heard about this. Because these, this is the thing, right, with the transnational theatre angle, because um, people involved in the protests from the UK had worked with actors from Asian American actors from the US on productions like Wild Swans, which is a kind of collaboration um, between ACT in Boston and the Young Vic. And so suddenly they're kind of sharing ideas and they're kind of looking for advice. And, and so there's this kind of sharing process happening. And so we all kind of got drawn into it together um, to kind of, raise questions around why has this happened um and is that you know let's debate this and is that a good thing or not um and you have to say the other reason for the american involvement is very much that they had just been through literally six months earlier almost the exact same thing where a major theater company in the u.s had cast um asian actors Oh, no, cast white, sorry, cast white actors in Asian roles in um, The Nightingale. And so this was very raw. This had caused a big uproar in the US where, to the point where the artistic directors were forced to apologise. Um, and so it had been a really big issue, a very, and it was very live. And so this RSC production comes along literally a few months later. It's just this kind of catalyst of factors, really. Um, and so, yeah, I became very involved in it, <laughs> and it was quite intense and uh, and stressful at points, but not as stressful as for the people, the actors who actually, I think, you know, when you go into something like that, you do think, well, the chances are I will not work with the RST again, <laughs> you know, uh, or in my case, I will not necessarily you know, it might be more difficult to do that in the future, right? Um, But I, well, the whole book is about diversity and equality and all of that kind of stuff. And I just felt it would be entirely contradictory for me to say, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. I won't go there. Um, And so I kind of very much believe in it. And so I just kind of became part of it, I suppose. Does that make sense? (laughs) Absolutely. And and as I say, it, it was really kind of, Almost an interesting twist uh, reading mm. the book where all of a sudden, um, you know, your presence is, is all the way through the book as both, you know, a kind of a researcher and someone doing interviews and, mm. you know, someone reflecting on being present in particular uh, spaces. But then all of a sudden, you know, you've got this kind of live campaigning role as, as well. Um, actually, that might be a quite a good place to um, to conclude with um, with the book, actually. And, and thinking, um, I guess, about, you know, the kind of um, future directions for your research. Um, yeah. Are you doing more um, in the same vein? You know, have you, for example, taken up, you know, more work around these kind of campaigning questions about 
uh, diversity in the profession or are you doing you know different kind of geographical projects what um what are you working on next okay um i've kind of got two things i'm doing at the moment um so the first is exactly that keeping on campaigning and addressing questions of diversity and so ashley thorpe and i are kind of trying to work on a project that will um talk about the kind of histories of British East Asian theatre um, and it's kind of the question of diversity and really get to grips with questions of inclusion and exclusion um, because I think there's a very narrow industry perception of what East Asians uh, or British East Asians actually can do, uh, what kind of stereotypical roles they, what kind of stereotypes they actually play in kind of very well of course any stereotype is retrograde but I think there's a lot of questions that act for change and people like that are actually trying to engage with and to try and push the diversity issue in British theatre and so we're kind of working um hopefully on a project that we fingers crossed will get funded um but is specifically about East Asian participation in British theatre um and to actually try and quantify that and get some statistics because I think that once you have statistics you can kind of lay things down a lot more clearly um, and we we actually it was very interesting when we had the launch for the journal special issue about the orphan of Jow we had people from um, who worked on South Asian theatre Black British theatre and obviously East Asian theatre Everyone was saying, you know, now is the time that, you know, institutions have to sort of stand up and take account. And why are you not funding diversity in this way? Um, it's no longer about what can um, different racial ethnic groups do to be included. No, now the onus is on these big institutions to actually try and promote diversity. And so kind of, I'm obviously still working on that, uh, but that's a kind of much more local project. But I've also been doing some more recent work on Cambodia and Cambodian dance and a kind of the sort of transnational politics of dance and reconstructing dance in the wake of war and indeed ongoing kind of violence in Cambodian society. Um, and so that's a kind of continuation of my kind of transnational work, but has a much more, again, well, has a political focus, but the political focus is on um, kind of geopolitics, as we call it, on the kind of relationship between states and those kind of diplomatic negotiations and how troops of dancers, for instance, are used in these kind of, again, these kind of cultural diplomacy efforts, um, but also what other kinds of work these dancing troops can do. So I've been kind of become quite interested in that. Um, and I've done some initial kind of pilot work on that, but obviously that's, again, something that's in development. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. So kind of of continuation of these things on different fronts i suppose sounds fantastic um thanks very much thanks very much dave thanks for listening to this uh, episode of new books in critical theory where i was discussing performing asian transnationalisms theater identity and the geographies of performance with amanda rogers from swansea university